Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, joining the show today from Tunisia. And this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today, Dr. Louise Hitchcock makes a fifth appearance on the show. The four episodes that we have created in the past all have the common denominator in that we spoke about civilizations during the Bronze Age that lived on and using common day terminology, lived on Greek islands. And in one of those episodes that was published on August 6, 2021, we explored what scholars know about Minoan settlements in the Bronze Age. And so that conversation focused on the island of Crete. And in the episode near the end, Professor Hitchcock made a comment that the Mycenaeans had taken over the island at one point. So in today's episode, Professor Hitchcock is back on the show and we're going to explore that comment further. And so today we're going to explore what scholars know about Mycenaeans on Crete during the Bronze Age. Dr. Hitchcock is Professor of Archaeology in the Discipline of Classics and Archaeology in the School of Historical and Philosophical Studies within the Faculty of Arts at the University of Melbourne, based in Australia. She has written over 100 publications over her career, including co-authoring the book Aegean Art and Architecture, which was published by Oxford University Press. And she's author of the book Theory for Classics, which was published by Routledge. And Dr. Hitchcock joins the show today from Melbourne. Welcome back on the show, Louise. Great to be back. All right, Louise. So, uh, you know, I ask typically broad overview type questions to start. So let's, uh, let's continue with that trend. Who were the Mycenaeans? Who were the Minoans? And how and when did the Mycenaeans arrive on Crete? If you could, please create enough background and context. And of course, we'll work our way into the details. Sure. The Mycenaeans are the um, early uh, inhabitants of mainland Greece. Uh, they're named for the site of Mycenae, uh, but in fact, they were um, Greeks, uh, the Hellenic or Hellenic culture. Um, I know my uh, friend and colleague, Kim Shelton, discussed this a little bit as well. Um, so the term Mycenaean is kind of an, uh, a modern term that we apply to the people of the mainland Greece um, based on the sort of fame of their city-state at Mycenae. Um, the Minoans are the Bronze Age and earlier prehistoric peoples living on Crete. Um, they were not Greek, um, and the term Minoan was coined by Sir Arthur Evans, who excavated one of the first large Minoan sites at Knossos. And he originally, in his early reports, referred to them as Mycenaean. But then he realized he was dealing with an earlier culture and gave them the name Minoan, um, to, named after King Minos of uh, Greek mythology. Okay. And the Mycenaeans, what, what, when, when do scholars believe they started to settle on Crete, so actually started to develop their own uh, architecture? Well, they were developing their own architecture in mainland Greece um, uh, since the Neolithic era. And uh, they had some prominent uh, monumental sites in the early Bronze Age, um, primarily with the first one being discovered at the site of Lerna in the Argolid near Mycenae. 
It was one of the um, earliest types of monumental architecture on the Greek mainland, and it was known as a corridor house. And then since um, the excavation of Lerna by the University of Cincinnati in the 1950s, other similar buildings were um, discovered on the Greek mainland and on the island of Egina. And these buildings were destroyed around 2200 BCE. And at that time, um, uh, the mainland inhabitants of Greece um, kind of retreated into, again, being a sort of small village culture. And then you start to have, in the 15th century, um, the construction of monumental tombs, um, both round tombs known as those tombs and um, deep uh, tombs excavated into the ground with a circle built around them, um, such as the famous uh, Grave Circle A at Mycenae, and um, the graves were shaft graves. And a similar shaft grave has recently been discovered at the site of uh, Pylos in the Western Peloponnese. Um, which has become known as the Tomb of the Griffin Warrior because of its um, uh, the great wealth associated with this burial, um, one of which is a griffin depicted on a small seal stone. And um, you had similar wealthy graves at Mycenae in the shaft graves. And this is a time when the Mycenaeans seem to be accumulating wealth from um, Europe in the form of amber beads, uh, well, nicely crafted Minoan objects and objects from the Near East. And so after this period, you start to see monumental architecture in the form of palaces. And Mycenaean civilization, you could say it really takes off around the 14th century BCE. And before this, they were having um, trade with the Minoans, interaction, um, they were having you borrowing some of the ceramic technologies found in Crete and trading with uh, the Minoans. The Minoans especially um, were importing green and red stone from the area of Laconia, which is near um, later Sparta, and using it to create workstone vessels. And so the, these interactions, this trade meant technological transfer and the Mycenaeans were being influenced by the Minoan civilization and then with the destruction of Minoan civilization in the mid 15th century BCE, um, the Mycenaean civilization starts to come into its own and become dominant. And with this destruction of Minoan civilization, again, around the mid 15th century BCE, um, all the Minoan sites on Crete are destroyed with the exception of Knossos, which is re-inhabited by Mycenaean Greeks and um, then we start to see uh, a gradual um, Hellenization of the culture on Crete and sort of a mixed Minoan and Mycenaean culture, what one archaeologist, Metaxia Tsipopoulou, has referred to as Mycenaean. Okay. Is it the, um, when that development starts to occur by the Mycenaeans, on Crete, is that uh, believed to be the 15th or 14th century or, or one of those two centuries? Um, it would be the mid 15th century, but like around 1450, 1470. And then the emergence of the Mycenaean palaces on the Greek mainland seems to take place in the 14th century, around, let's say around 1365. Okay. So 
for the most part, you said Knossos, is that predominantly where their settlements, uh, or if it's, you know, their, their settlement uh, was, or did they, or have settlements been found in various parts of, of Crete? Why I'm asking that is it seemed like the Minoans had um, many different settlements uh, throughout the, the island. Yeah, good question. Um, Minoans did have many different settlements throughout the island. These are all destroyed. Um, Knossos seems to be inhabited by Mycenaean Greeks. There seems to be a depopulation on Crete. And then you start to see um, the appearance of more Mycenaean style of simple village houses and Mycenaean style pottery, which is which borrows heavily from Minoan pottery, I would add. Um, but Knossos is the main center. Knossos seems to be destroyed around sometime in the 14th century. Um, the exact date is debated. And then you start to have other sorts of important Mycenaean centers on Crete um, with sort of larger paramount buildings um, at Malia and in the south at Hagia Triada and Comos, and then in the west at Hanya. And Hanya seems to become a site of increasing importance. Um, you start to have uh, stirrup jars containing liquids traded from Hanya with um, Linear B writing on them. Linear B is the um, Mycenaean adaptation of the Minoan Linear A script, which uh, Brent Davis spoke to you about a short time ago. So the Mycenaeans take the Minoan script and use it to write their own language, which is a very early form of Greek. And it's often referred to as Linear B. Um, it's also often referred to as Mycenaean Greek. Okay. So is it known, Louise, what happened with the Minoans in that period that, that, you, had, uh, that you had said? Is it, do scholars know what actually happened with their civilization around that period in time? Actually, we do not. Again, like I mentioned, there seems to be a depopulation. There's some evidence of violence, like, and these are just isolated snapshots we get. There's one site at Maklas at East Crete where there's the re they found the remains of a woman who had her head bashed in by somebody, but it seems like people fled and they fled to more remote areas and more mountainous areas of Crete where they might be safe. Um, they, some of them may have left the island we really don't know what happened to them. And there seems to be a reluctance on the part of a gene archeologist to seriously address the question of what happened to the Minoans. And I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, first of all, we don't know what caused the destruction of Minoan civilization. Uh, some people believe the Mycenaeans came in and wiped them out. Um, others believe that there was some kind of civil war amongst the Minoans themselves that resulted in um, these uh, settlements being abandoned and destroyed, um, and that somehow the remaining Minoans welcomed in their Mycenaean brothers. I think there's a real reluctance to show too much of a connection between the Minoans and the Mycenaeans because, again, with the Minoans being a non-Indo-European people and, per and heavily influenced by the Near East, to admit heavy Minoan influence on the Greeks would also be to invite um, the notion that there is strong um, non-Greek influence into ancient Greece. And this kind of 
goes against the narrative of Greece being the sort of uh, fount of Western civilization. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but for whatever reason, Mycenaean archaeologists, Aegean archaeologists, have not seriously addressed the issue of what happened to the Minoans or where they went. Is it known or known being evidence-based or believed that the Mycenaeans had regular contact on the island with the Minoans prior to the 15th century BCE and that it's it's in that century. So I think you had referenced approximately 1450 to 1470. Is it that in the, around that period of time is when the it's it's believed or known that the Mycenaeans gained control over the island? Yeah, it would be in that period of time that the Mycenaeans gained control, um, at least over Knossos. If they were involved in the destruction of the other sites, then they gained control of the island. If they stepped into a vacuum created by, let's say, a Minoan sort of civil war, then they would have moved into an area that was largely in ruins and extended their influence. We know for sure that the Mycenaeans were heavily involved by the Minoans prior to the destruction of Minoan civilization because of the artistic styles that the Mycenaeans adopted. They adopt the fresco technique. They adopt many of the uh, pottery decorative motifs although the Mycenaeans had their own uh, sort of pottery shapes. Um, they adopted uh, Minoan seals and ceilings and fresco technology and many other things. And this had to do with sort of trading relationships between Crete and the mainland that go back uh, to the beginnings of, of Minoan civilization, if not, uh, if not sooner. Is there evidence that after that, inception period, if you will, the, the 1450 to 1470s as it pertains to the Mycenaeans on, on Crete in more of a uh, hegemony type um, way. Is there evidence that Minoan culture um, remained in some aspect, maybe becoming um, more to a lesser extent or, or diluted in some way, but is there evidence that there that the, the Minoan culture uh, still existed on Crete after 1470. Um, without a doubt, there were are it, it became an what we call an entangled culture. Um, some of the things that persist is that uh, the Mycenaeans actually remodeled Knossos um, and painted new frescoes, which show strong Minoan influence. And of course, the fresco technology was Minoan. Many of the pottery styles remain the same. Um, you see a lot of similar iconography. Um, what changes a lot, in, especially in the sort of hinterlands and the villages, the architecture changes from being sort of a, a squarish house with um, multiple rooms to being the more rectangular hall, four hall and porch that characterizes um, Mycenaean palatial and vernacular architecture. Um, pottery shapes that are Mycenaean, such as the stem kylix with handles for drinking wine, um, replace the dominance of cups uh, on Crete. Um, and so it becomes very much a blended culture. In the episode that you cited with Professor Kim Shelton, and for those listening 
uh, to, to provide a bit more information if anyone hasn't heard these episodes and wants to listen to them. Professor Kim Shelton, a friend of Louise's, was on the show a short while ago. Uh, Louise and I are doing this recording on August 24th, 2021 as a, as a date reference. Um, and we covered in that episode uh, exploring what scholars know about the uh, Mycenaean settlements in uh, on mainland Greece. And then the, the episode with Dr. Brent Davis, a colleague of uh, Louise is at the University of Melbourne. Uh, that was on Linear A, so both of those are 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 findable in the findable online. In the episode with Professor Shelton Megaron, the the uh, the architectural um, uh, 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 concept of a Megaron came up a couple times, and uh, so did any Megarons show up on Crete, Louise? Uh, under the the Mycenaean um, con control of the island. Yeah, we have Megaron style structures. We have a large monumental building at Gornia on the Bay of Mirabello in Eastern Crete. Um, in terms of what was found in it, we don't have a lot of evidence. It was um, excavated over 100 years ago. Um, so the finds from it were not recorded, but it imitates the um, style of a Mycenaean palace, but on a smaller scale. At Malia, we have some very interesting rectangular Megaron style structures, one with an early pebble mosaic, perhaps the earliest uh, mosaic in Greece. Um, we have the foundations of a large Megaron palatial building at Hagia Triada that was superimposed on the Minoan building. All we have are the foundations because um, the rest of it just didn't survive, but we have enough of it to know that it was a very different style of building. And then um, we get smaller houses that consist of a rectangular hall and porch with an axial entryway that start to um, be what characterizes village architecture throughout Crete from about this time onward. Okay. If, uh, Knossos, if, if someone was to... Uh, be there in the in, during the Bronze Age. So during this period that we're speaking about, with the, with the Mycenaeans having developed um, developed it more, um, how would how would you describe it? How how do you how do you believe it would have uh, looked and functioned? And I ask that question uh, broadly. Um, can you create a bit of a panoramic of what what you believe in terms of probably the number of buildings, uh, you know, it, were, there, were, were there new palaces? Was it a development of uh, onto the, the previous palace by the by the Minoans, etc.? The Mycenaeans inhabited the palace at Knossos. They did some remodeling and they re-inhabited it and it seems to have functioned in a very similar way to it, what it had previously in terms of the types of rooms found. They painted a new procession fresco there. Um, they painted a number of other frescoes, which we have um, in very fragmentary remains. I mean, people are familiar with, when they think of the Minoans, the famous bull-leaping frescoes. Um, and in fact, those bull-leaping frescoes date to the Mycenaean era. We can suppose there were earlier Minoan frescoes in a similar style because we find bull-leaping frescoes created probably by Minoan artists in Egypt. But um, many of the art and let's say the ideology, the artistic and symbolic ideology of the Minoans 
seems to have been continued um, to a large extent by the Mycenaeans. Okay, and how how big would Knossos have been in the Bronze Age, do you believe, as a site? Um, which era are we talking about? The in the with the Mycenaeans, so the once they've gained control, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to paint the picture and and please yeah, yeah, yeah. please estimate as as needed, of course, because I know some information isn't isn't needed. But is if 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 somebody you know just really broadly, like like are we talking about hundreds of individual buildings in Knossos? Are we talking about maybe a couple dozen? How, how big would Knossos have been? <laughs> say a couple dozen it was the biggest site in bronze age crete the thing is it hasn't been 100 excavated you have like a building here that's been uncovered a building there uh we know for sure that a number of the minoan villas at knossos that were palatial in style were re-inhabited by mycenaeans and continued to be used it seems like they did more um re-inhabiting of existing buildings in the case of knossos than they did in terms of tearing down and building something new. It seems like you see, see more in the way of new structures at Malia and at um, Kamos. Hanya, we don't know. We just have the writing. Most of the site is under the, the modern village. There's also a very interesting, what I would sort of call a transitional site in the late 13th century just to the east of Malia at a site called Sisi, where you have a large complicated building consisting of a couple halls and a series of rooms uh, that seems to be a fairly wealthy Mycenaean era settlement, um, possibly even connected with the emergence of the sea people at the end of the 13th century. And this is the site called Sisi. And they have a number of Minoan ritual features there in terms of uh, shrine material, and they have objects in the form of uh, spool-shaped loom weights that are associated uh, with the movements of the later sea people. And um, the site of Sisi is on a promontory, so it would have been very dominant. And it was probably the most dominant site on Crete at the twilight of the Bronze Age in the, let's say, um, uh, mid to late 13th century. Is anything known about how they govern themselves on the island in this uh, period of time? Not specifically, but we can assume based on what we know from the mainland that you had uh, kings. Um, we know that there were workshops at Knossos. We know this from the tablets. The tablets tell us of a chariot industry um, that was at Knossos. They had so many chariot tablets. It, they were found in what is known as the room of the chariot tablets. We also have a textile industry and um, at Knossos. And we know that this textile industry was mostly operated. Um, most of the workers were female, but they were attached to the palace. And they seem to have had a bit more freedom and independence than textile workers on mainland Greece. So it would have been very similar. It would have been, let's say, same, same, but other uh, in that sense, and that you had similar sorts of things going on, but um, also sort of a local flavor to it. In the episode with Dr. Davis, he mentioned that linear A and linear B 
were originally discovered discovered in more modern times um, on the island of, of Crete. And I'm sure in past in a past episode or episodes, you've brought that up in some way as well, Louise. Is it is it known if the Minoans, so the linear, what's known about the linear A, which is undeciphered currently, is it is it known if it influenced the linear B in in some some way? And 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 perhaps um, could you take a moment too, if someone is new to those two concepts too, and just explain what those are? Yeah, absolutely. One influenced the other. The linear A writing system was a writing system composed of around 86 signs that represented syllables as well as pictograms that represented commodities as well as a number system. And this um, system of signs was used by the Mycenaeans to write their own language, which was an early form of Greek. It's like, if you think of it this way, um, the alphabet we use to write English is also used to write French and German and Italian and a number of other languages. It's the same alphabet, but used to write different languages. Um, we can think of the linear script in the same way. Linear A was a script, but it was borrowed and used to write a different language in the form of um, Mycenaean Greek. Um, also, the same script was borrowed on Cyprus to write their language, which is a different language, also undeciphered. I hope that makes a little more sense of it. It, it does. Yeah, it, there, there's aspects of the linear A. Um, I think you use the term borrowed. Um, it, 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 in, uh, in the linear B, which was the writing system used by the Mycenaeans, and and you cited that uh, a similar uh, fashion occurred on uh, on Cyprus with a civilization there. Correct. Um, I would just add two more things. Um, the um, languages were used uh, a little bit differently in some respects in the sense that as far as we know, Linear B was only used to write administrative documents, whereas Linear A actually had um, ritual purposes. It was used, um, there are a number of Linear A ritual inscriptions, which is what Brent wrote his PhD on. So it had that um, more uh, difference in function. Whereas it seems from what we know of Linear B, it was only used um, for administration and record keeping. Okay. So is it known if, um, and is there any, is there any evidence on the island since we're speaking about this, this area today? So what would be, um, using modern day term terminology, the island of, of, of Crete, did, did, did anything survive in terms of, uh, writings beyond record keeping for the Mycenaeans in this period? No, not on Crete, not on the mainland. It's all economic and administrative documents. Didn't, and uh, maybe it comes comes inside that context, but didn't some um, certain deities that the Mycenaeans wor worship and, and the, the, the like the term like the Wanox, that, doesn't that come through in some of their language somehow? Yeah, it does. I mean, I can't remember whether this information comes from the mainland tablets or from the Cretan tablets, but um, we do have a number of deities mentioned in Linear B, including um, Zeus, Athena, uh, Hermes, 
Demeter, uh, and Poseidon, and probably a couple of others that I'm not remembering at the moment. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's go to uh, what's known about religion then in this period of time on on the island of Crete. Um, it, what's 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 known about that in terms of the Mycenaeans in this in this period on 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 Crete? What's known about their uh, worship? This is a good question. There seems to be a lot preserved in the way of um, Minoan religious practices. We don't see so much at Knossos at the time that's contemporary with the palace, but after the Minoan palace is destroyed, um, within the ruins, uh, a shrine is set up, a, a very tiny shrine is set up in the um, southeastern uh, corner of the palace, where you have a bench with offerings placed on it in the form of um, these very uh, poorly made goddess figures that have upraised arms. Um, you have horns of consecration, and you have these symbols depicted on um, the sarcophagi of this time. The Mycenaeans um, or the Minoan Mycenaean culture of the 14th and 13th century um, started burying their dead in um, clay sarcophagi. Um, and the sarcophagi preserve um, some, maybe some of our best interests of um, beliefs. And it seems to reflect a lot of, um, let's say, attention devoted to the afterlife. Again, things like horns of consecration, double axes, which are the major Minoan religious symbols, um, things like that. And then when you start to get into the, um, after the destruction of both Minoans and the Mycenaean palaces, the 12th century BCE, when you have these, um, what we call defensible settlements that are founded in the hills, um, you have, again, these small bench shrines created where they put on the benches uh, these sort of uh, very um, simply made uh, statuettes that are interpreted as goddesses and offering bowls to them. Um, also something that continues, there's a building shrine at Sisi, the settlement I mentioned east of Malia on a promontory, uh, where you have a household sanctuary where they have uh, marine symbols such as triton shells, which was a major Minoan religious symbol. Again, all we have are bits and fragments and pieces, um, like snapshots, uh, giving us this sort of information. Um, we don't really have anything like a temple that you, like you see on the Greek mainland in um, post-palatial or in Mycenaean Crete. Just these very small town sanctuaries. Okay. And you, uh, as a as a scholar and as an archaeologist, Louise, do you do you like a situation where there's a little bit more uh, scant, uh, maybe uh, disparate type type evidence, or do you like a situation where once you're in there, there's really uh, a lot of evidence? What's your What's your preference? Um, well, I was drawn to the Minoan civilization based on the complexity of the architecture, and it's like for me, it's like peeling an onion. You just keep finding layer after layer. And I do tend to think that I came out of a tradition of working in Mesopotamia where we do have a lot of literary texts and texts. And I think it creates a false security because even when you can read the writing, um, very few people in ancient times actually wrote themselves or could read. Um, and so the writing was the product of a particular class of society. 
and it gives you that group's representation of the rest of society. And so I think, like I said, I think it creates sort of a false uh, sense of security. And I think it's more interesting to go in and try to um, figure out what was going on based on uh, the very fragmentary remains that we're left with. Okay. Um, so back to the, 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 the tombs, you were expanding on, on that a, a bit. Has any, has any, and I, so, so I want to, um, I want to clarify uh, and, and create certainty around this point. Has some tombs confidently been cited to the Mycenaeans versus certain tombs on the island being associated with the Minoans? And if, if some of those tombs have been excavated, uh, what, what um, based on the material, uh, if, if anything, has that allowed scholars to understand more about the civilization of the Mycenaeans on Crete? Well, what's really interesting is that by the um, 13th century, you start to get the appearance of Tholos tombs on Crete. Not everywhere. There are a limited number of them. And they're not as large as the largest ones on the mainland. And in fact, some of them are quite small, almost miniature. And um, you get the same sorts of offerings where they're not robbed out. Uh, seal stones, um, pottery, jewelry, weapons, things like that. But the adoption of the Mycenaean Tholos tomb style, uh, the sort of dome beehive shaped roof, it's definitely an adoption of a symbol of Mycenaean prestige. And you actually have a very tiny one that was found buried that was dates well into the, let's say the geometric era. So you have some strange things going on. Um, you also get a lot of um, more common are what we would call rock cut chamber tombs. Um, tomb, uh, tombs that are just cut into the rock where the body could be um, disposed of or placed in one of these clay chest burials uh, that I mentioned. And again, a lot of Minoan symbolism associated with these uh, clay chest uh, burials. They're often called Larnax burials or bathtub burials because they're kind of in the shape of a bathtub. Um, and it seems to be a lot of focus maybe on uh, genealogical connections and on uh, with these sort of bench shrines that I mentioned earlier focus on uh, a female Minoan deity of creation, um, but nothing really specific. So in the tombs, Louise, is there any, is there any items that were prevalent? The, the tombs that there's confidence that were cited to the Mycenaeans, was there any, was there any prevalent objects that people were buried with that were found? Mostly pottery. And it would be more in the sort of Mycenaean style of pottery at the time, which is um, itself a fusion of Minoan and mainland styles. I'll tell you one thing that's interesting. The one thing that persists in Crete that's different from the mainland that goes from the early Bronze Age of the third millennium straight through um, past the um, end of the Bronze Age into the early Iron Age are the type of cooking pots uh, that, was, that were used on the island. Uh, the Minoan cooking pot tended to be a sort of large pot with three legs, what we call a tripod. And 
um, on the mainland, even though they introduced what we would call cooking jugs, a sort of uh, jug with a rounded base that could be nestled in the hearth, ashes of a hearth, um, the tripod cooking jug uh, seems to stay on rather strongly, indicating sort of strong local traditions maintaining being maintained. Um, for a long time, it was thought that the Mycenaean cooking jug never made it into Crete, but now in a couple of sites, they found evidence of that. Um, so you would have maybe mixed cooking traditions, but I find it rather interesting that this cooking style uh, maintains is maintained very strongly throughout the entire era. Interesting. How cosmopolitan do you believe Crete was under Mycenaean control? Um, you you mentioned um, you just you cited an object there for for instance that uh, came from um, believe that it came from somewhere other than the island so there had to have been some kind of an in, interactions or there could have been some kind of interactions I, I, I suppose um, you know versus someone uh, coming from the mainland and then and then beginning to inhabit in uh, on the island but how how cosmopolitan do you th believe? the island was in terms of its its um, regular interactions with other civilizations where were there a lot of civil uh, other civilizations coming to the island in this uh, late uh, bronze age period either uh, making visits or uh, potentially inhabiting as well that's a really good question we don't see a lot of evidence for foreign habitation though i will mention one example in a moment but Crete seems to be fairly prosperous with under its uh, change, uh, let's say, social fabric to the, as long as the Mycenaean palaces remain strong, because it was that the continuation of the Mycenaean palaces that helped keep the sea lanes open and free from piracy. Um, once the Mycenaean palaces are destroyed at the end of the 13th century, um, most of the Minoans, not all, but most of them seem to have fled uh, to the mountainous regions where they had these defensible, highly defensible sites. Now, it's interesting, in one of the houses at one of these defensible sites, you found the, a foreign style of sword that was introduced into Greece from Italy. It's known as the now two sword. It was probably locally made in Greece, but it was still of an Italian style. But what's even almost more interesting is that you had an Italian razor found in the same room with it. So it might indicate somebody who'd been a mercenary or servant, um, maybe from Italy, traveling around the Aegean, somehow ending up at this one particular building. And so this would seem to indicate that people were moving about uh, to a certain extent. You also start to see more in the way of um, figurines in this era representing a male warrior society. And again, this is based on the depiction of male warrior type figurines and weapons and um, shaving equipment. And that Italian inspired sword that was found on the island of Crete? Yeah, it was found in a house. Um, when we get these swords, we know of 17 in total found in Greece. We have to assume there were more because um, bronze being a sort of prized commodity that was imported 
it was probably usually melted down. And in most cases, when we get swords, we get them from burials. So it's quite interesting that it was found in a house with an Italian-style razor. You spoke a bit about the architecture earlier on the island under the Mycenaeans. Did they, did they use any um, distinctively different materials in building their buildings? Not really. You see a lot more in the way of elaborate cut stone um, architecture during the Minoan era. And when things, uh, when people revert to more of a village lifestyle, you don't get so much work stone. But um, in all periods, uh, people tended to rely on what was most um, locally available. And you probably had quite a bit of reused stone as well. Um, one example of this, when I excavated at a Minoan palace site in East Crete, there was a Byzantine cemetery uh, placed smack dab on top of the palace. And in one of the Byzantine graves, they had uh, a stone block with a, mace, a Minoan mason's mark on it. So that's really pretty certain indication that stone was reused. The most expensive part of constructing a building is the acquisition of building stone. And so people, if there were already, uh, there was already cut stone available in the region, um, they would either rob it or re-inhabit a building or um, use local stone, because again, that would be the cheapest way of constructing a building. And at one of the poor post-palatial sites I worked at, um, a lot of what was used were, there, there, were a lot, there was a lot of schist available, and schist fractures, um, rather easily and neatly into sort of very flattish or squarish uh, slabs. And so a lot of schist was being used at that particular site. So again, just lo local stone was used throughout time, but you would get more elaboration again with uh, more, um, let's say, uh, complex structures. And I could Google, Google it, um, but we're in the middle of the conversation, and and uh, and as as many know, I try to keep the googling. <laughs> I try to keep it to a minimum because it uh, it, uh, it you can hear it on the uh, on the audio. But what is um what can you can you elaborate on what schist is? Um, schist is a stone that um, I can't give the exact geological term without googling it myself, but it's a stone that fractures rather easily and it has a rather sort of shiny surface to it um and uh, i would say it's not as strong as limestone um not as strong which is very hard and uh dense um not as shiny as gypsum which is crystalline and um not as uh flexible to use let's say as sandstone which is uh because of its sandy matrix is easier to cut uh, but um, not as uh, nice to look at, let's say, as uh, hammer-dressed limestone or gypsum is. Okay. Before we go to the later part of the period and discuss what is known or inferred about what happened with their civilization on the island, in this conversation, in a fairly short period of time, we touched base on a lot of different topics, and it's been very interesting. Is there... Is there anything else that you want to um, share, Louise, about this civilization on the island in the period that we're speaking about um, that we either 
um, haven't touched on yet that you think is prudent to to uh, speak about in this episode or that you want to really emphasize? Um, I would like to emphasize that maybe it's like with the destruction of the known civilization and uh, the inn can also be becoming re-inhabited by Mycenaean Greeks. Um, it's kind of a real decline from what the civilization had been. It marks a very great break with the past and uh, the beginnings of an emergence of a new um, Hellenic culture on the island. And um, I would say that uh, maybe the period of the Minoan palaces, which was uh, short-lived in the sense that it's about 500 years or so, um, that was maybe the most peaceful part of the history of Crete. Crete has always had a lot of um, uh, fighting between various city-states amongst themselves, and also uh, a lot of fights with outsiders, uh, the Arabs, the Venetians, the Turks, and so on and so forth. Um, so it's it's became part of a, I would say, as after the decline of Minoan civilization, it became part of a crossroads where you had a lot of, uh, let's say, violent interactions, but also, I mean, very important and vibrant culture. One of the, um, this is kind of departing from the Minoans a little bit, but one of the earliest written law codes was is to be found at uh, Gorton in Southern Crete, which I believe dates to around the eighth century. So Crete was always an important um, place, but uh, never as important as it was during the Minoan era. So earlier in the episode, Louise, you had mentioned the sea people. What's known about who they were? Um, yeah, that's like a whole separate series of podcasts. I just finished writing a short article for the Oxford Classical Dictionary on the sea people. Um, sea people is a modern term given to uh, various different tribes that um, contributed to the collapse or the end of the Bronze Age. They basically destroyed the Mycenaean palaces uh, the great um, Syrian trading city at Ugarit uh, destroyed a number of sites on Cyprus, not all of them. Uh, they would have sacked Troy. They would have uh, attacked the coastal areas of Crete. Maybe some of them hid out there. Um, and they attacked Egypt. They're, they're mentioned by Ramses III and by Merneptah and portrayed um, on the mortuary temple of Ramses at uh, Medinet Habu. And um, they are given various tribal names, which may or may not be associated with various uh, groups throughout the Mediterranean. But what seems to link them is um, they adopted um, Aegean-style pottery, Mycenaean-style pottery. A lot of people want to see them as Mycenaean colonizers that uh, colonized the entire Mediterranean. Uh, my colleague, Aaron Mayer, myself, has in, have interpreted them as a piratical culture that um, sacked various wealthy cities in the Mediterranean in the 12th century and picked up new followers as they traveled and then eventually settled in various regions of the Mediterranean, uh, becoming known as the Philistines, the Phoenicians. Um, the, they contributed to the Hellenization of Cyprus. Some of them probably also settled in Crete and um, in Italy. And that's sort of the thumbnail, but the, the sea people, it's, it's really one of these really big and controversial areas of study at the moment. Okay. So 
A closing question, Louise, working our way to wrapping up the conversation today. What, by the end of the Bronze Age, what's known about the Mycenaeans on Crete? They reverted to um, simple village lifestyle, many of them in these defensible sites up in the hills. There were something like eight or 900 of them have been documented, although only a small number have been excavated. Um, if you ever want to talk to the great expert on that, his name is Christoph Nowitzki, and he's written about all of these inaccessible sites and he's climbed all of them um, and stayed there. And eventually people come down from the mountains and um, create settled villages. The villages become more prosperous and we have the um, reemergence of contacts with the Near East and um, greater complexity and the building of cities. And eventually we have what's known as classical Greece. Um, but again, with the end of the Bronze Age, you lose all writing in the Aegean. Um, linear B is gone. And this has to do with the end of having large urban centers where you need a bureaucracy and an administrative structure. And um, so a lot of people lament the disappearance of writing, but writing, we have to think of it as something um, that had a very specific function. And when urbanization um, ends and disappears, um, writing also disappears. And again, people probably had more control of their own lives, uh, living a simple village lifestyle, um, farming their own land, owning their own flocks, and really not um, laboring on behalf of uh, a centralized authority. So civilization continued uh, at the end of the Bronze Age and, and, and after on the island of Crete. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Louise. Always enjoyable chatting with you. Thanks for coming on the show again. Same here. My pleasure. So again, everybody, the couple books that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Professor Hitchcock wrote, She's co-author of the book, Aegean Art and Architecture, and author of the book, Theory for Classics. I'll drop links to both the books in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Louise and everybody listening, as always, wishing a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.